once you start to recognize the tactics that people will use to silence you, you can stand up for yourself better. So there's sort of the classical grandiose narcissist, and this is often what we think of as sort of the textbook, arrogant, charming, charismatic, confident, you know, sort of really holds the room before long, between four and 12 weeks, the blush is gonna fall off the rose kind of thing. And it's going to be that they're much more, you'll see that they're getting bored with you, that their superficiality really becomes problematic. They are very contemptuous and dismissive and invalidating. I suppose there's almost a distinction to make between toxic behavior and mismatches in investment. I think that when someone is saying something that's not been earned yet, that is something of a red flag. And I say you get what you tolerate. So if I know someone's lying to me, I'll be thoughtful as far as why they're lying to me because sometimes people will lie out of fear, they'll lie because they're ashamed. At least for me, Lisa, I'll tell you this, when I'm done, when I make that conscious choice to be done with someone, I'm done with them. You don't get to say, I'm wounded, and that's your get out of jail free card. It doesn't work that way. I understand that you're wounded. Go do the work, okay? Go do the work. We actually may mistake that chemistry for compatibility. And compatibility is about how do we line up in the areas of our lives in such a way that if you never changed and I never changed, we would still fit like a glove and we would both be happy and have our needs met in this relationship for the rest of our lives. But if it comes down to, yo, we now understand what the base assumptions are, and I still think you're crazy, because now we're talking about a value, the way things ought to be. So I understand your position, you understand mine, but I think you're crazy and you think I'm crazy. That's where it gets dangerous. We set triggers or red flags for us to know it, to know when it's gonna happen. If you're just open to everybody all the time, you're, gonna, you're just gonna be inviting it in all the time. So you do have to, create those barriers for yourself. You don't trust that someone's never gonna betray you. You just trust that you'll be able to handle it if they do. Stop worrying about whether you can trust someone else. Maybe you can't. Worry only about yourself. So because I think there's different people in different situations, I want to start with how do you spot potential red flags on someone that could potentially be toxic in a relationship? So let's say you're starting to date um, and you want to know the red flags so that you can identify them before you maybe then commit to them. So I suppose there's almost a distinction to make between toxic behavior and mismatches in investment. Because someone can be toxic. There could be red flags that tell you that someone is really going to be poisonous for your life. But then there could just be red flags that we are not on the same page. Okay. It's yeah. not that they're toxic, but our intentions are not the same. What we're willing to put into this 
isn't the same. So I think, I suppose one that could fall into both categories is where someone's words don't match their actions. Can you give me an example? Well, you know when you, you, you know when you go on a date with someone and uh, you know they start professing things, their their feelings for you, and you go, how could you feel this so quick? You know, like this is seems a lot, very quickly. You know, they're ready to write poetry for you after one date. They're they're ready to, you know, they tell you, oh my god, I've never met anyone like you. You're so incredible. You're after if someone's saying all of those things after one date, that's a bit of a red flag to me because they don't really know you. Mm. Whatever they're saying has to, in some part, be to do with their projection of you, what idea they have of you. Mm. I feel the same way when someone comes into an interview with me and they're, you know, if they're trying to work for my company, but the way they interview is like, I will go to hell and back for you and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do that and I've just I, I am so excited to work for your company or whatever and I'm like but you haven't even asked me any questions about my company like I know that you're saying this from what you think from the outside but you don't know what it's like working on the inside of my company yet so you don't even know necessarily how much you'll enjoy it and and so I think that when someone is saying something that's not been earned yet by the point in relationship you're at, that is something of a red flag. So I think there's red flags in terms of, is this person saying things that aren't earned by how much time we've actually spent together and how much we've actually got to know each other? Because if they are doing that, it's probably not based on me, it's based on an idea they have of me or just a way they want to feel, a way they enjoy feeling. And maybe they've enjoyed feeling that way five times in the last year and they're, they're addicted to that rush, that feeling. Uh, and of course, you know, a classic sort of, I don't like to say trait of a narcissist. I prefer narcissistic leaning trait <laughs> because I think that narcissist is a word that's thrown around so mm-hmm. casually these days. Like everyone's a narcissist. I think there's a, there's a narcissistic streak in all of us. You know, we're all, we've all got some in self-indulgence that rears its head and we spend most of our lives trying to depart from that to be the best we can be, right? To try and be more giving or or be less focused on us all the time. I, I think we all have that that streak in us, some more than mm. others, and some are, you know, we can say are genuinely diagnosable as narcissists, but we, we're throwing it around way too casually. And so what I like to tell people is when you are dating, that is the perfect time to really go slow and take stock. And you have to see dating much like you see interviewing for a job. So if you've ever been a supervisor or a manager, I want you to think about dating in the very same way because you are hiring for the most important position on earth. (laughs) And that position is for your life mate. And that's how we have to see dating. We have to look at the individuals that we are dating as potential candidates to fill this position instead of dating, thinking that this person is supposed to be our life mate. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, we give boyfriends or girlfriends the husband or wife experience when we don't even know if we should be hiring them for that position.
Okay, so it's got to be like a test drive. So when we're first interviewing people, they're like candidates and you go, well, tell me about yourself. Well, tell me where you're from. And you're thinking about them within context of your employment, right? In in terms of the organization that you're thinking about having them come on board. You might like them and interview them a second time or a third time. You may have them meet other employees of the company in social settings, over dinner, or in the boardroom during meetings. Dating should be very similar to that because what you're wanting to learn is who this person is. You're wanting to get past the representative, right? Because their representative is not who they are. Their representative is who they think you want them to be. So that's very important because they're filtering you and trying to adjust while you're filtering them. Mm -hmm. So we've got all this early filtering going on and we need to see them in different environments and then compare, do they actually appear to be who they say that they are over time, right? Because people will tell you one thing, but their behavior can tell you something completely different. It takes time in order to see that. And the hard part is, unfortunately, not only do we often jump in bed too quickly, and the reason why the jumping in bed is important is because the moment that we bring sex in, all of those hormones flood our systems and it clouds our judgment. Again, we go back to being love drunk. I literally am intoxicated the moment that I have sex with you and I am not going to see you the same. So it's like going to bed at two with a 10 and then waking up at 10 with a two. What do you mean by that? I I mean, so if I'm partying, I'm having a great time. By the time I go to the club and it's 2 a.m., the person that I'm leaving with in my drunken state, Uh. in my high state, in my party state, they are a 10. (laughs) It's two in the morning, I'm feeling great. Everything is wonderful. I am going home with a 10, okay? Then at 10 in the morning, after all of those intoxicants have come out of my bloodstream and I'm sober and I roll over and I wake up with you and all of your makeup is on the pillowcase or all of my face (laughs) hair as the man is on the pillowcase and we've taken off all of the lashes and the nails and I get to see you, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, who are you? You're a two. You are not a 10. You are a two. You are not somebody that I would have actually dated. So we need to be able to see that person with a clear eye and sex complicates that because it literally clouds our brain. It gives us a brain fog. So the longer that we can hold out on the sex, the more objective we can be about who the person is. Mm -hmm. That's important. The other part of this is we have to know that over time, time is what allows us to see a person in different situations. We can talk about theoretically whether or not we think we line up in a particular way, but having actual experiences where we're challenged to see who we are is totally different, which is why to go back to the starter marriage, I often tell folks, if you really want to know who somebody is, divorce them, right? Or break up with them. Many people learn way more about a person at the end of a relationship than they did in the entire relationship. So it is not about time that heals all wounds or creates something different, but what you do with that time. So therefore, it is also important in terms of compatibility, how we date a person. If every time we date, we just go out to dinner and a movie, 
we're not having any conversation. How do I know about you? How do I know about how you handle challenges? How do I know how you handle being caught off guard? How do I know how you handle social settings? How do I know how you treat other people? If we only date in places and spaces that never really show me who you are, but now when we're together, I'm not dating you to just have fun nights. I'm dating you in places and spaces that require the full range of you to show up. If we don't ever exercise that point of who we are until we're already married or until we've already moved in together or we've already created children or other kind of lifetime commitments that find us stuck together, we've created a whole set of problems for ourselves that now we may be resentful of. Now we may be frustrated with. Now we may become annoyed because I'm stuck with you in a different way and I'm gonna make different choices based upon those consequences that we've already created. So that you're saying, how do you identify these red flags? Once you've communicated about something three times, mm. okay, and it has been dishonored, devalued, not listened to, or invalidated, that's it. You're done. And if after, you're staying at the table after that, it's then time to recognize what are, this is why I'm saying education about narcissism is so important. Mm. Because for many people, they don't get it. So now a person's out there saying, three times I gave someone the benefit of the doubt. Three times this, we had the same issue. Now I know there's there's no there there. And but again, it's then if that work of devaluation and un understanding that about yourself that you might say I don't deserve better. That's your narrative. Mm. That's you needing to go to therapy. That's you figuring it out because if the being you deserve someone to be on time. If that is what you value, you deserve that. If you're staying in it because you think you don't deserve better. Then if you've now you're in a cycle because especially someone narcissistic is never going to change that. And so that's where I'm saying that doing the deep dive on yourself becomes really, really important. And the fantasy always has been for the child. When a person's a child, my parent is going to end up stepping up and being a good person and the parent never turns around. And in adulthood, we play that fantasy out in our adult relationships. I want them to turn around and it doesn't happen. And so it's really about giving people the knowledge about what this is. So once they're in it, they can say, mm, this isn't working. Because with a narcissistic person, the earlier you leave, the easier it is to extract, right? If it's after just a few dates or a few times and you're sort of like nobody has that much skin in the game. The problem is early in the game, the narcissist doesn't like to lose. So they will try to suck you back. They'll try to hoover you back. And that is very seductive. So this person who wasn't on time is all of a sudden sending you flowers or sending you a lot of text messages or doing and saying exactly the things you want because it just turned into a game for them. It's not about them. Oh, I heard this person. I want to be on time. It's more of, oh, I'm not going to lose at this game. And they'll suck them back in and they'll go back to not being there. There's another thing that you said, I'm so loving this, by the way. There's another thing that you said, which is, um, that wasn't my intention. And the funny thing is, that's the strategy I now have been using for the last few months when I'm apologizing to someone. I'm literally saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry, that wasn't my intention. Because even, I need them to know that I didn't want to upset them or hurt them. But then I heard you say, if someone says it wasn't my intention, then that is a big red flag. Okay, it's a red flag when they're not showing any care and concern for your feeling. So if somebody gets very upset, you've done something, okay, whatever it may be, and they are upset, and you say, 
I, I for no matter what, you always want to start with empathy. Always open with empathy. That's a rule people should hold and say, I hear you. You're. I can hear you're very upset, and I'm so sorry. And and even worse, I can see that I was. I, I'm responsible. You know, it was our interaction that's you know that's contributing to this. You know, please tell me how you're feeling. Always give that person a chance to share. Because what we do is we're so uncomfortable with other people's discomfort with us, we tend to cut that conversation off because we don't want to hear it. But they need to say it. And if they feel safe and we're holding space for them, they'll share it and say, I felt hurt. I felt unheard. I felt devalued. And you'll say, I am so sorry. I want to tell you it wasn't my intention. However, that doesn't matter because you're hurt. You see the difference mm-hmm. between then somebody who just opens up with the person says, you hurt my feelings, la, 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 la. And then the, a person says, well, that wasn't my intention. Ah. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's like it's sort of these words get their power in terms of placement and whether or not the person's building empathy in there. Mm-hmm. So if you're really because at that point, after you've heard someone and held a safe space for them and empathize with them and really took it in as hard as it was to do that, they have now they've soothed a bit. They recognize you are safe. Mm-hmm. So when you say that wasn't my intention after all of that, they'll say, no, 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 I get that. It wasn't your intention. I understand that. And they feel safe enough to share an emotion. That means that relationship can now go to the next level of intimacy because it's safe. Mm -hmm. But if you shared something with me, you say, hey, Dr. Robin, I'm, you know, I'm hurt because da, 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 da. And I openly, and I said, well, that wasn't my intention. I've just shut you down. Mm -hmm. I've not opened the door for you to share. And that's what narcissistic people do. They shut the lines of communication through manipulations. That wasn't my intention through gaslighting. There's nowhere to go at that point. So the relationship lacks intimacy because there's no sharing. Where there's a difference in energy, where there's just a difference in effort, that's where people have to be very careful because that's where people start labeling they're a narcissist. Well, okay, I get, there's different when someone has truly misled you. You know, Mm -hmm. someone painted a picture of themselves as one person and then they turned out to be something completely different. That, by the way, can happen to any of us. And it has. If you've been dating long enough or been in business long enough, that's happened to you somewhere. 100%. So that's life. You know, people reveal who they are not through their words, but through situations. And you have to, in order to really see who someone is, you have to see them in in enough situations. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean distrusting something they say about themselves. Someone can tell you something about themselves and you go that I I take you at your word. But that's not the same as investing based on those words. You still allow someone to reveal themselves through their actions. But if you're finding that, ah, I'm really noticing that my energy is in a different place to somebody else's. I seem to be giving more than they're willing to give. Instead of allowing that to keep going and going and going and going and going to the point where you become so bitter and resentful at it that when they finally leave or it finally truly breaks down, they're a narcissist or they're a Mm. terrible human being. Instead, we have to catch catch it early enough because this is a major red flag, right? Oh, it seems to me we're in like month one 
or, or we're in week four or we're in week eight or month three and I still just feel like I'm willing to give to this more than the other person is. At that point, you have to notice that there's a gap and that, that is, see, everyone fights for a relationship based on potential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's based on what they think it could be. Even that person that, you know, but I, but I love them. Mm. What they're fighting for is their vision of what the relationship could be. Right. Or you know, should be. Or should be. They think. But in their mind, it's still, yeah, like it, but we love each other so much. This, sh- this should be the most amazing thing ever. Well, let's look at what it is. Mm-hmm. In the early stages of dating, it's actually very important that we miss crucial opportunities to see what the relationship is if we lunge in mm-hmm. with attacks and accusations instead of letting someone know what we're feeling and asking them kind but honest questions. We don't really see what's going on because they feel attacked, their, offen- their defenses go up. What we really need to do is say, I'm gonna learn more about this person's intentions either because I don't feel they're trying hard enough or as much as me, or because they just did something that I don't feel was very nice. I'm gonna learn more about what's behind it. And that is gonna provide me with information. Acknowledge that there's a gap. There's a gap between where I want things to be and where they are. Highlight the gap in a, in a classy and tactful way. Look at whether this person acknowledges the gap because it's usually the sign of a toxic relationship if the gap can't even be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? I'm trying just as much as you. And if you're like, you're really not. Like I'm clearly hey, come on. making many more sacrifices than you are doing, much, think of you way more than you think of me, do more than you do for me. Like if you know there really is a gap and it is not being acknowledged at all, that there is no sense of someone being able to look at themselves honestly and go, Okay, you're right. If they try and make you crazy, that's a form of of toxic behavior. But can they acknowledge the gap? That's the first step. Now, that's a positive sign if they can. Mm. You can work with that, right? Ah, this is actually a sign of a healthy relationship. I've brought something up. They didn't make me feel stupid for bringing it up and being vulnerable and revealing a wound. But that alone isn't enough because someone could say, I get it, you're right, I'm gonna do better. And then a month from now, nothing's changed. Yeah. And that's where you have to say, it's one thing that someone is acknowledging the gap, but acknowledging and being able to deliver are two very different things. And the fourth step is noticing whether the gap's being reduced. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business 
actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. The other persona to watch for is self-righteousness. That is huge. So that's the I am holier than thou. I know better. I'm I'm above you. Or when you have people, you ever, you know, you ever have anybody be like, you know what, I'm really going to pray for you because you need it. Right? (laughs) Anybody says that to you? It's like, first of all, it's the most condescending thing you can say to someone because it's insinuating I'm closer to God or Allah or whoever you believe to than you are. So I'm going to talk to him for you. No, don't worry about it. I'll go talk to him or her myself. And with self-righteousness, it's like you believe you're so right. And that's rigidity. That when you think, no, 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 I'm so right. Let me tell you how right I am. Red flags. And look at how people treat other people because if they gossip about other people, they treat other people the, poor, the, the wrong way, I promise you they're doing the same thing to you or will do the same thing to you. You have to look at people holistically, who they are with everybody, because that's going to come back to you. So your personality types, I think, are a yin-yang. Your values, though, I think need to mm-hmm. be very similar, deadly similar. Because if you really clash on something super important, and we talk about this, it's like when, you, when you're arguing, arguing, and arguing, you may have a base assumption, misalignment, and it's like, oh, you think things are one way, I think things are another way. But once I understand your base assumption, oh, you think, you know, X, Y, Z. 
then it's like, okay, well, it's not a value. Now I understand where you're coming from, that perspective, I can adopt it easily. But if it comes down to, yo, we now understand what the base assumptions are, and I still think you're crazy, because now we're talking about a value, the way things ought to be. And once you get to the way things ought to be, and you have a collision there, so I understand your position, you understand mine, but I think you're crazy and you think I'm crazy, that's where it gets dangerous. You can have some, you will have some. But oh, if you have too many and you don't know how to navigate or compartmentalize or say, hey, cool, like we'll put that on the back burner, uh, you're gonna have a real problem. Yeah, because I remember when we first met, one of the things that almost everybody universally told me that I knew was like- I know where this goes. You don't normally go after somebody yeah. like that. He's, he's not your he's, type. He's not your type, he's very different. And that was because I was brought up in North London around a Greek and Turkish community. And so that was who I was around. That's who I dated. Mm. Um, but everybody, so when I had said I had met this guy and you had met my friends for the first time, a lot of people were like, he's so different from you. Like, how, how can you guys relate? So when mm. you even went to my dad and asked for his blessing yeah. um, to marry me and he said no, a big part of his argument was, you guys come from different worlds, yeah. right? You come from America, I come from a very traditional Greek family in England. So our religions are completely, you weren't even christened, I came from a Greek Orthodox background. Mm. And so when I hear people talking about this type of thing, from the surface it may seem, you guys will never last. Right. Like, how are you ever gonna agree on things? But I always went back to, but I know who you are. Like your core values as a person, you treat people well, you treated me well, you showed love and respect to my family, you always give me respect, you never try and shut me down. So like, to me, that's what's important. It's not about where you come from or whether you have the same religious background or if you, at least for me, I will right. say, it didn't make a difference. It was like, are you a good person? Are you a good human being? Are you gonna treat me well? So I assessed what my values were and then looked at yours and saw how they aligned well. Mm -hmm. But from the outside, I think people can just look at how you were brought up and that dictates who you are, but I actually don't agree with that. It, it can play out badly, there's no question. Like, so one, uh, in a lot of things in our relationship, one of us is devoid of opinion and the other feels very strongly. So um, I wasn't religious at all. And when we thought we were gonna have kids, you were like, look, our kids are going to be christened in the church. I had to get um, baptized to marry you in a Greek church. So if I had had very strong religious convictions in a different direction, mm. that would have been problematic. But you did in a sense of like, you were saying, I don't believe in God. And here I didn't I believe, was saying... but I wasn't giving anything up in order to get baptized. So it was like all of the traditions and all of that stuff which are wrapped around that, I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. So it was like, yes, I wasn't converting emotionally. I was doing it in order to um, give you what you wanted, to be able to get married in the church and all of that. But it was easy because I didn't feel like I was giving anything up. Like if I had had another, if I was devout in another direction, that might have been a sticking point for me. Mm -hmm. Because then I would have said, okay, well sure, I'll do it to get married, but like I don't want to raise our kids in that religion. I want to raise them in this religion. So I think there are times where you can't BS yourself. Your dad wasn't like barking up the wrong tree. He just didn't understand us well enough to know sort of where we were. Like you weren't actually doggedly religious. And so we sort of found an equilibrium there. We both have a sense of awe. We both know there's something bigger than ourselves. Um, and at this point, neither of us sort of think of that in a traditional religious sense. So that was easy to overcome. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't have any um, 
you know, trappings of religion that I felt like I was turning my back on in order to get baptized. That was easy to overcome. Um, we both wanted to be around our families. So navigating things like that, it was like, of course you're going to want to be around your family. And you were like, of course I'm going to want to be around my family. So we would fly back and forth every holiday, even when we were poor. And it was like painful. And we had to take the world's cheapest flights and do crazy layovers. And we would still go see both families at, at uh, Christmas time. So it was like, there was no argument there. There was no like, you know, why would we do that? And you weren't saying, well, we just saw your family at Thanksgiving. Like, Mm -hmm. why can't we do Christmas in mine? Like we, we saw things so similarly that it just became easy to sort of from a place of like, you're saying mutual respect. It was easy to be like, yeah, I get why that would be important to you. So between sort of these, you feel strongly on something and I'm I don't feel strongly, I feel strongly on something, you don't feel strongly, mm-hmm. or then we shared things where we could give that mutual respect and understanding, it, it's worked out. And the thing that scares me about it is how much of that, we didn't really have the knowledge to like put a finger on it when we fell in love. If you've had a bad um, a bad relationship and they've done something wrong and you want to learn from it, right? You're like, okay, what will I do different Le- next time? You've learned all these lessons. You bring the lessons to your next relationship. And let's say your next relationship where they do one little thing that is similar to that, I think people, some people who have their defenses up are like, oh my God, there it is. I knew that I found it and they'll bounce. Versus going, what does this mean about them? Is this a reflection? I need to pay attention, Mm. right? Don't ignore it. That would be a mistake. But go instead of jumping to conclusions, let me like play it by ear or let me see if that actually does come into fruition. Would you like suggest kind of testing a bit like that? I think that um, you have to come to them from a compassionate place as a teammate. Because that again, that has to be your standard. I'm going to come with a sense of, teamwork and compassion that says i'm not immediately going to attribute even if my fears are screaming Mm. at me too i'm not immediately going to attribute the worst possible intention to this instead i'm going to get curious about what was behind this when you did it here's how it made me feel like his it it has upset me and you know rightly or wrongly that's because it made me feel like you didn't care or you weren't Mm -hmm. thinking of me. And if we can do that without immediately labeling, without immediately accusing, if we can create just a little bit of space between the point at which we get curious and the point at which we've drawn all of our conclusions, Mm. that space saves relationships and the conclusions are natural. If we've been screwed over, if the last time we saw this behavior, it was followed by realizing someone was cheating on you, then it's natural to see a little bit of it and immediately go to the same place. Mm. But I've, I mean, in, in all sorts of different ways, I've been made a fool of there where I saw someone in one relationship do something that looked like some, someone, something someone did before, which usually was you know, followed by some horrible pain. Mm. And I immediately jumped to this feeling and then, you know, made a conclusion. Our brains are 
we have the supercomputer, but that's also dangerous because the number of calculations and deductions that can get made in mere seconds that can take us from someone didn't text me back to three hours to they're having an affair. <laughs> We have to learn how to recognize when we're being manipulated, when we're being taken advantage of. Lots of times people will use those tactics as a way to shut you up, right? Because they want to do something that you don't want them to do. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying this stuff as a way to say to you, be quiet. Here's my bound. They're giving you their boundary. Don't talk to me about this stuff. And so once you start to recognize the tactics that people will use to silence you, you can stand up for yourself better. I was just talking to a friend about a situation I had where someone was doing something really mean and they would gaslight me and they would say, well, I did it because you did this thing. And, you know, at the time I was really young and, and I never thought it was my fault. I would think, huh, there's really something wrong with this person. <laughs> like this thing is clearly not my fault. Um, at that time, I was in a, in a position to get out of it, right? But as I've gotten older, I am very clear on when I'm being manipulated, when I'm being taken advantage of. I'm clear of the wording, you know, that people will use. Like you're being too sensitive. You're taking this too far. You're in your feelings. It's not that big of a deal. When I hear those things, I think it is that big of a deal. I'm talking about it. Anything I talk about is a big deal. Um, so I feel something and you're being dismissive. So the more you increase your language around what's happening in the situation, the better you will be at recognizing when someone is trying to set boundaries over your boundaries. They're really trying to say, hey, I don't want you to talk to me about this thing. And this is how I'm going to get you to stop. Mm. What do you mean increase your language? Can you give me an example? Developing your vocabulary. Mm. So knowing what it sounds like when someone is taking advantage of you by using certain phrases. Um, I would do it for you if you ask me or... Um, it seems like you have enough time to do it. Why don't you... You can't do it on Saturday, you know, when they're trying to do these things that you're like, wow, like I feel really bad again for not doing it. And although we don't like to take certain things as a complete statement, like, no, um, that doesn't work for me. This is not a good time. We really like to challenge that with people. It's not okay. Mm. It's not okay for us to do it to people. And it's not okay for that to be done to us. And this, this is critical. If you're in a relationship and you weaponize the knowledge that you have about that person against them, you know my every insecurity. I mean the fucking really weird nuanced ones. In 19 years of being together, you've never weaponized anything against me. Not something that I said in the past. You don't do the like bringing something up from a past argument. You don't do any of that shit. And it would be so easy for you because your mind is like a steel trap. It fucking terrifies me. And <laughs> You remember all of that stuff. Like for me, I'm going to fucking forget it anyway. So, but I mean, I know your insecurities well enough. I could certainly weaponize them against you, but I don't want to. Like, I don't even have the desire or the inclination. It's like, I could end this argument. I could 
drop her to a bag of sobbing rubble if I just said this one thing.、Mm-hmm. I have no interest in doing that. It's like it's so terrifying to think how fragile trust really is that it only takes one gnarly comment that was aimed to be cruel. And you can really do a lot of damage. So we had earned all that trust. So by the time we're talking about stuff like that, it's like we've already been together for a while. There's a lot of trust built up. It's it's so important to to treat people kindly and to make them feel better about themselves when they're around you. So what we're talking about here, in a sense, is. Is a form of trust. Yeah. How do you trust the next time round that it will be different? Right. I think that we focus on the wrong thing there.、Mm. I think that we focus on, and and actually, I think a lot of advice that's given gets people to focus on the wrong thing because a lot of people say. You have to trust. You know, this is a different person. This is a different situation. You have to go in trusting. And it's, it's like, it might be a different person,、it、might be the same person all over again. I mean, you don't know. The point is, you don't know, and you can't know. You can't know how someone might disrespect you, cheat on you, lie to you. You betray you. You can't know, and if you can't know, reassuring someone that this you can trust them, it's going to be okay. It's pointless. Why reassure them something that you and them can't possibly know?、Mm-hmm. So, rather than try and control this thing that's uncontrollable, that's kind of just a dead end. It's a loop that you have to go on of reassurance. Freaking out again, reassurance. Freaking out again.、Mm-hmm. There's a couple of other ways of looking at it. You don't have to trust someone else if you trust yourself. That's the first thing. And by trust yourself,、mm-hmm. I mean if a lot of people are afraid that they're going to get into another relationship, that they're going to get close to someone, that that person's going to hurt them. But their experience has shown them in the past that when someone hurt them like that, they didn't necessarily have the strength to walk away. They didn't necessarily have the strength to rebuild themselves afterwards. You know, I had a woman come to me and she said, "I, I, I, you know, she had children from a previous marriage, and her husband cheated on her." And she said, "I find it difficult to trust in the next thing." I said, "But you can trust yourself far more this time, because she said I, I was in that marriage twenty years, and I, I, and I knew seven years ago that there were problems, that this person was unfaithful, and I stayed in it year after year, and it scared me off of trusting someone." I said, "But you eventually left, right? You, you're not who you were seven years ago, where you found out and then stayed for seven years. You're who you are today, who actually had the strength to leave." And understanding that is the key to self-trust. We've learned how to deal with certain situations. We've learned how to walk away faster. We've learned how to spot red flags in a way that our 21-year-old self was far too naive to or ignored. We know what to pay attention to these days. So it's not like we have to go around playing detective next time or worrying: Are they going to cheat? Are they going to do?、That? Well, they might just make peace with it. In in California, there might be an earthquake. You and I aren't sitting here like this just in case there's an earthquake, are we? Like. 
at any point this could happen. Yeah. No, you you know, you have Get your procedure. Like if there's an earthquake, we're going to stand in a certain part of the house that's the safest and, and now get on with life. You, you don't trust that someone's never going to betray you. You just trust that you'll be able to handle it if they do, that you'll be able to walk away. That's a massive key to it. Stop worrying about whether you can trust someone else. Maybe you can't. We don't know that. Only time will tell if you can trust somebody else. That is a pointless waste of your energy to worry about. Worry only about yourself. So that's the first argument for trusting is that just trust you. Don't trust them, trust you. I can walk away if I need to. Mm. Um, there's also the standards argument for trust, which is that I'm gonna trust and, and you know, what happens when we don't trust is we suffocate people, we get overly jealous, we get controlling, we start playing detective in their life in a way that invades their privacy, steps over their boundaries. We start doing things that are unfair to the other person. Mm -hmm. And we start damaging the relationship for a fear that hasn't necessarily even come true yet. Now the relationship is getting damaged, not because of, not because of what they're doing, but because of the way we're now violating the integrity of the relationship. So you have to have a standard that says, I'm going to play my part in creating a beautiful relationship. I'm going to give this person space enough to hang themselves, enough to betray me. I have to. That's what a great relationship is. I have to give you enough space where you can betray me, where you can do something wrong. It can't be that you only don't betray me because I'm monitoring you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the threat of it. <laughs> right? That's not... Now, I don't know what I have if the, only, if, if the conditions for you not betraying me are that you're under surveillance. Mm -hmm. I only know what I have if I give you complete freedom to do it and you don't. Mm -hmm. So my standard has to be I'm going to trust not because you're never going to betray me, and I know that for sure. I'm going to trust because that's my standard for the kind of relationship I want to be in.